Hello and welcome back to another episode of Fully Booked, the Hidden Gems author podcast in which Craig Touch and myself, Roland Hume, chat to some interesting figures and leading lights of this crazy industry we're in of writing and self-publishing. And today we are delighted to have a very special guest, uh, Lynn Golodna, author of nine books, a coach and entrepreneur. Did I get your last name right that time? You did. That was great. Thank you so much. <laughs> Lynn, we are delighted to have you here to talk about characterization, which is one of my favorite topics. So thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Um, really appreciate being here. And, you know, I love talking about all the nuances of story. So this is going to be fun. Excellent. Well, we are very, very excited to hear from you. And of course, we wouldn't be here without the man himself, Craig Touch, the owner and founder of Hidden Gems and an author himself. How are you doing today, Craig? Doing great. Thanks, Ron. Thank you, Lynn, for joining us. Um, yeah, the the idea we we have talked a little bit about it in the past, but you know you can never really talk about character development enough. I don't think because it's so central to writing fiction. Right? Um, you have nine books, but I saw you had your first novel was September twenty sixth, twenty twenty three. Right. So was it was it nonfiction that was before that? So I had two collections of poetry and then six nonfiction books and then Woman of Valor, my novel that came out in September. Right. And then um, it's in some of your nonfiction is where you've uh, been writing about um, creating, com had compelling characters, finding your voice, stuff like that, right? So where, where did you sort of pick up all your knowledge of characterization from? Um, since you were writing you know poetry and and nonfiction ahead of writing your your actual novel so it's interesting because my novel came out in september but that doesn't mean it was the first one that i wrote so i actually wrote a novel in 2000 so we're talking like 23 years ago and um i've been trying to do fiction well for a long time and i think it took me this many years to get there but you know I, my training is in undergraduate i studied journalism and then and, and literature and then in i did an mfa in creative writing and so i've been studying writing and characterization and the elements of craft my whole life and i've been not only taking classes but i've been teaching writing at the university level and then teaching adults now for about 25 years um and so I, I sort of pick apart how writing happens in a variety of contexts. And I do think that my early work in journalism, where I'm actually dealing with real characters, you know, real people and interviews and, and watching settings unfold and taking notes on it, and just sort of being an observer of human nature um, was sort of an organic on the spot type of way to learn, as well as all of my academic training, too. So um, when I teach now and I teach a lot of writing classes, I talk about how character development matters, not just for fiction, but even in nonfiction, even when you're writing a memoir and it's about real people in your life, I think it's harder, but you still have to think of them as characters and figure out what's their motivation, you know, what are the nuances of their personalities, what, you know, you have them be multifaceted, which is really hard when it's somebody you know, but you know them from the outside. Whereas fiction, you're creating them from scratch. And so you can be inside, outside, you know, all views. That's so interesting. I was just thinking of some of, some of the best writers in the world had a journalism background. I mean, I mentioned every single podcast, Ian Fleming journalist Ernest Hemingway was uh, was a writer and reporter and I think part of what you, what you say when you you create characters uh as of having a journalistic background you observe don't you yeah. 
you observe yes. without judgment and write about what it is they do. Whereas I think it's very easy as an author, you create these characters. And so you almost like use them like puppets, whereas people aren't like that. People do things based on their motivations, not based on what the invisible uh, writer is making them do. Yeah, 100%. I actually teach a course on writing like Hemingway, which is really focusing on the art of the sentence. But, you know, so much of what Hemingway did was um, tell the story with what wasn't shared. So it's the deliberate inclusion or exclusion of things, like just really paring down so that it's only what's necessary to tell that story well, you know? The iceberg so, method, isn't it? Yes, yeah, that, yeah, it's exactly what it is. And and I actually just taught it a couple of weeks ago, so it's like fresh in my mind. But um, I think that being a journalist really has helped me in all genres. And in fact, when I've written poetry, my friends will say, oh, it's so, you know, reported. There's so many facts in here. And then, of course, when I write journalism or fiction, um, they're like, oh, yeah, it's so lyrical. It's poetic. Because I think the genres bleed. And so you you sort of take all that you know and you pour it into whatever you're writing. But when it comes to characters, I think observation of actual humans is the best teacher. And, you know, I think it makes it easier to have that objective perspective and sort of the bird's eye view of your characters I will say when I write nonfiction and I do write creative nonfiction essays all the time, um, you know, I have to be so careful not to have my own biased perspective on the the people who were actually part of an event or the family or whatever, because we just don't have that um, perspective that we need when we're creating characters. And so it's important to bring the, those fiction sensibilities into the writing of nonfiction, too. That's really interesting as well. I just read a biography of Winston Churchill, who's quite a con controversial figure. And it was written by a former prime minister, Boris Johnson, who was a big fan of Churchill. But then again, he had to stop and be like, OK, I like Churchill and I kind of like want to reject my values onto him. But right. he's a real person who did these things. And it's like, you know, he did good things. He did bad things. How can you observe? How can both coexist in the same place? And yeah. with real people, they are often contradictions. And I think the best fictional characters are also contradictions. They can be both good and evil. Yes, 100%. When you're writing a character, you have to think about, you know, well, why are they doing this? And what are their relationships on the page? But also the, the relationships you never are going to see in the story. So, you, you know, you're, you have to think of them as multifaceted, three-dimensional people who exist outside of the book so that they can do their job in the book. And I think um, one of the best things that I did, so, you know, I just had a novel come out, but then I just finished my next novel, which is going to come out next year. And I learned from the first novel to not be a pantser because that's what I did. And it was so hard to keep track of everything. So for this next novel, I spent a month planning it out. And that included character development for each of the characters and like lengthy character sketches. And I kept, kept a printed version on the desk next to me when I was writing and as the characters started to speak to me, as they will do in fiction writing, I had to just make notes and change those details so that they still had the depth of character that I had envisioned. Um, they just they just got deeper or bigger, you know, based on what how they showed up. So I think it's super important to, to know those characters before you even begin to write them. Yeah. And where, where where do characters come from? I sometimes the Gore Vidal wrote that uh, a good writer has like twelve actors in his troupe, and these are like twelve characters you have, and it's almost like every single book you write, you take those twelve characters and recast them. And I kind of find that it's like there are people in my real life who I'm like, okay, I need this person. You almost like take them lock, stop, and put them in there, and change your names because that means in your head you know how they'll react to certain things. And I don't, I don't know. 
where yeah. you go, come with your characters, where you invent them, come them up with them. I absolutely love that. I think that is so brilliant. And you're probably right now. I'm going to get off this interview and I'm going to think about the people in my life and see like what tropes keep showing up again and again, you know. Um, but it's true in books. I mean, I find that um, there's a similar, I guess, cadence to the story with each one, even though the landscape may be different or the year or the details of the story. But like, I write um, really compelling stories. Well, I think they're compelling, but compelling characters who are. Um, who grapple with identity. So like Woman of Valor is a very religious book and it's one main character, one POV. Um, and it's somebody who's in the Orthodox Jewish world and it's how she determines her identity. But she has a best friend. She has a husband. She has three kids. She has, you know, sort of the foes in the community as well. She has the stalker ex-boyfriend who shows up and all these things that happen. And then, you know, in the next book, there's four main characters, four POV. But, um, but they, but I think it's the same thing. Like there's a great love, a great romance in there. Um, there's grappling with identity. So the same types of things I think come up in our stories again and again, because it's what we're fascinated with and how we're trying to answer these questions. We don't quite ever get there. So we just keep trying in the next book, you know? I like that. I like that a lot. And it's not really reusing character. Like Stephen King, for example, some of the most compelling characters he comes up with, the, mon the real monsters are never the monsters. They're the people. Like yeah. in in um, it, for example, there's uh, I can't remember her name. The 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 one female member of the group and her abusive father, who's just like a vile, horrible person. It's like he's the real monster, but he's a character who's real. And then he kind of repeats this through all his books. That's one of the themes, just like you were talking about the themes of trying to find your identity. And I think yeah. maybe that's why readers gravitate to an author because maybe they are looking for the same answers to the question that the author is looking for. You would think, and I think that's really wise. It's why we keep going back to the favorite authors we have again and again, and whenever they put out something new, we want to scoop it up right away. And I will say that as a marketing expert myself, it's really smart to do that. You know, I like to test to challenge myself as a writer and try new things and and come up with new stories. But at the end of the day, if somebody likes one of my books and they want to see the same type of experience again and again, then it's not a bad thing that I'm revisiting the tropes and the character development and the, you know, the, the questions that I seek to answer in the stories. That's how, that's how you make money as an author is by doing something well and doing it in a lot of different forms again and again and again. Yeah. I mean, uh, we are at the end of the day making products and it's like yeah. fast and furious, you know, yeah. you might like those movies or hate those movies, but they they have a, an audience who loves them. And then it's like, I want the cars. I want the, this fights i want to talk about the families and you need to have that to be satisfied yeah yeah no it's so true go ahead you need well you need to hone in on what it is about your story that the people are connecting to and give them more of the same but still different enough that they're not like okay well the second book is very much similar to the first yeah right? which is sometimes what happens in a fast and the furious movie you know sometimes you'll see one of the movies that come out and they say ah it's all the same right but the ones that do better are the ones that sort of push the envelope enough that it's it's still a better new movie but it still maintains those things that everyone loves about it and often that is the continuity of characters within the movie and in a lot of books that's also the thing you 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 keep those characters and you still keep sort of growing them but you put them in a new setting with a new adventure or whatever right especially within 
genre fiction, if you're writing a series, people come back often for the characters. Oh yeah. Because the story itself moves along, but the characters, you know, they grow, but there's still the core of them are still the same. You still know that this person is this kind of person and this person is that kind of person, right? I think that's really what people gravitate to most is characters over story. Yeah, well, actually, there's a great example of that. And I know this, uh, this sounds really cheesy, but I do like the Outlander series of books. And I think they're just beautifully written and um, and adventurous. And there's so much. But ultimately, at the end of the day, people come back for Jamie and Claire, for their love story, for their, you know, and to see if they're, they're pulled apart because they're always pulled apart. How are they going to get back together? And so, you know, in the end, there's a lot of other things that happen, a lot of other characters, a lot of settings. But they come back for the two of them, and that and it's a really successful franchise. I mean, Harry Potter too. Look at Harry Potter. Same thing, you know. Same characters, different day, but everybody's coming back to see what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think that works for a lot of a lot of the long running books. The the Bones series by Kathy Reichs, mm-hmm. and you know, there's the the will they won't they that goes through book after book after book. Lee Child with uh, Jack Reacher. It's like Jack Reacher is such a well defined character. And it's like, you know that you're going to stick Jack Reacher into an interesting situation. You know how he's going to act. So you know you're going to enjoy the ride. And so yes. you read them book after book yeah. after book. Well, look at Louise Penny. I mean, her books are like she has an audience around the world and everybody is looking at, you know, it's the same exact type of mystery that happens each time. A crime detective crime story. But it's the same detective over and over again. And I think what is, I don't even know how many books she has. But people are Louise Penny fanatics and they just love it and it's the same formula each time yeah and i mean i think that you know what you're saying before you with so you have the journalism background that's taught you to sort of dig deep into these characters into people and to understanding them right um different people have different ways that they do that people pull from their own lives uh, the characters the people in their own lives a lot of authors talk about being people watchers you know they they like to sit in their coffee shop and just watch people and see what they're doing, who they're interacting with, how they're acting, and they sort of pull, sometimes they'll pull that into their stories. Um, I took, in university, I went uh, originally for creative writing and I switched to psychology. And so I find that I use sort of that kind of, the psychology background to sort of understand people, their motivations, and uh, be able to sort of weave that into, you know, how I create characters. But, you know, what are some of the ways that authors that you know don't have necessarily some of that background? What are the ways that they can use to create compelling characters? So I think that asking a lot of questions of your characters, like having those conversations with the characters to figure out why they do what they do, what they believe, you know, what's their background that brought them to this moment is super important. And that can just be free writing, you know, just asking questions as if you're like, speed dating with the character in some way, but getting to know them, trying to understand their motivation. But the reality is that even if you don't have training in journalism, you know, just noticing, just sitting in a coffee shop, listening to conversations, watching people, taking notes about it is really helpful. And I think that, you know, thinking about different situations we've been in, workplaces, classrooms, family gatherings, I mean, your family is the best source to mine for characters because you're going to have all kinds of personalities, some really quirky ones, and that's a lot of fun to play with. So I think that um, those observation skills can be really important. And, and I think research plays into this too. You know, even when I write about something that I know really well, 
there's still something I don't know. And so I have to like dig in and do the research and, and make it believable so that I fill in the blanks that I might have in my memory or my experience. And so, you know, if you're, if you have an idea for a character, but it's not fully fleshed, then, you know, doing some research to figure out more about this person can really help you to get there too. Yeah, and I think when you're using family, you have to be careful too that they, uh, you don't, if, if you make it a little too close, <laughs> they might recognize themselves. And and if it's not painted in exactly the best light, they might have a problem. <laughs> well, I have to say, Craig, that what I say to my students in my writing classes is that there are going to always be people who swear that they see themselves in your writing and they're not there. And then the people who really are in the writing might actually never read it. And so, yes, you're, you're right. But at the same time, you can't be so worried about it because it right. just doesn't work out that way. You know, like literally there's going to be that pesky cousin who's convinced that every bad guy in your book is based on them. And like, you, they're not even in your mind, you know? There, there may be those ones that, that it is based on them, but they're so oblivious to who they really are that they don't recognize themselves at all, right? <laughs> It's like, yeah. oh, that person's a jerk. And you're like, mm, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it, it's funny. I have a friend who's written a bunch of novels, very successful. And she said um, it took her like several novels in before she realized she was always writing about these like horrible mothers. And she has a terrible relationship with her mother. She's like, oh, I didn't get it until like, you know, the fourth novel in or something. But you sort of perpetuate what you know. Um, I don't know if her mom reads her books or not. But like, yeah, it's sort of a little bit of therapy, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think we did an episode as writing as therapy, right? It's yeah. a lot of people do that. They sort of use writing to to work through some of the feelings they have with the people in their lives or the things that they've gone through. And um, that's great because sometimes it can help other people that are going through those same things or have those same people in their lives. And so it's not just therapy for yourself, but almost for the people reading it. Oh, 100%. I think that... Um, I always say to my students, you know, if one person is changed or feels less alone or, you know, whatever from something you wrote, then it was a success. Um, but it is funny because a lot of people that I know who've been reading my novel are like, oh, I can see you in it. I'm like, it is fiction. It is not me. You know, I yes, I was Orthodox in the Jewish world for 10 years. Nothing like the character. So, you know, I know something about the world, which gave me some information, but then I did a ton of research. So we want to see what we want to see, and we also block out what we don't want to see. Yeah, for sure. I, I like, too, that you were, I mean, you, you mentioned before that you went from being sort of a pantser to a plotter. Yeah. Um, and with, with writing characters, a lot of the time that is important because you want to make sure you understand their motivations. Um, and I'm definitely more on the plotter side. Um, and we've we've talked to people that are more pantser side, and uh, and I, I get sort of that, but I I think that it's important, you know, sometimes what a pantser, their arguments are, uh, the idea that you know you you're sort of um, being um, blocked in and and you know to the outline that you've that you've made, you don't want to be constrained and this and that. But as you said, you know, even with you, when you're pantsing, you're writing out these character um, bios. But if the character takes uh, a different direction, 
as they often do, that doesn't mean you have to stick to it. You just go back and you you revise your your bio so that they're still consistent later on when you when you want to continue writing them. And I think that that's an important distinction, and that people you know have to realize that that's perfectly okay. And as you know, if they're a plotter, you're allowed to change your your notes, right? It's your story. So. Yeah, I think it is really important. And I was curious when I decided to plot this next novel, I, I was wondering if the characters would still talk to me or if I would be too rigidly planned out. And I, so I was curious and I was really glad when they did and the story went in other directions. And so I just had to update, you know, and print out a new version or, you know, whatever. But I found that when I was pantsing, um, I would get stuck in what is known as the saggy middle because I didn't know where it was going. And also I would I wouldn't keep I couldn't keep track. You're like, oh well, what happened here? And who was that neighbor? What was the name I gave them? And and you know, I've done some developmental editing for clients and I, I can always tell when somebody's pantsing and they haven't proofread what they sent me because like, you know, it's Susie for the first 25 pages and then it's Vivian for the next 25 and it's the same character. And I'm like, is Vivian Susie? And like, you know, it's really, really hard. So I think that keeping track in some way, even if you're not gonna actually plot it out but you might have just a document where you make a, a little family tree or something just so you know who the characters are is really important but i i do think that if you're if you're immersed in the fiction the characters are going to speak to you and they're going to take over the page and that's the fun of it and so you just let them and then you you, you make your edits and it, and it all works out it really does I think that's the secret, really, to some of the, the best books, especially I like reading a lot of romance. And to me, the best romance books that I've written and read have been the ones where it's the characters have come along. I have a, a, a just quite common in romance. And I mentioned the same where you have like a book that focuses on one couple, but there are other couples around. So the next book is on another couple and the next book is another couple. And then what you find is like if you have these side characters and you have two of them that are very strongly fleshed out and you're like, I wonder what would happen if I put this character and this character together. And yeah. you're, if they're good characters, the book writes itself at that point because yeah. you know how they'll both act. And if they have conflict you'll both know how they'll they'll go along and maybe you know why they'd be attracted to each other and it's so character driven that it's almost just a case of like i just have to, to transcribe it like a journalist rather than yeah. actually like invent what happens i mean it sounds woo woo but it's like it comes through your fingers but yeah. you know they're sort of channeling the story onto the page which is so cool and really fun you know i mean i actually felt more confident and empowered when i wrote the next novel because i had planned it out and I still liked that I was creative and I, I took liberties and the characters you know, told me what to do. But I felt like at least I knew where it was going. So I could I, I could skip all of those, you know, middle grounds where, you know, it's messy and, and it, it's clunky. And now I need to revise like 12 times or whatever. I still needed to do revising, but not as much. And it wasn't as raw because I had that vision and it's just empowering. So, you know, I think. You can't go wrong with even a light outline. You know, if you don't want to right. commit to the plotting, just do a little bit of like a one pager so that you know where you're going. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know how some people can even write things like mysteries without doing some plotting, <laughs> you know, because otherwise, I, I guess you can, but you'd have to do a lot more editing, right? Because you, you decide something later on and then you know, oh, I should have sprinkled some clues on throughout the book. And, I, you know, then you got to go back and rewrite it and, or, yeah. or fit it all in but um but yeah i mean some some things you know maybe romance is a little easier to to do more of a of a pantsing although you might end up with a character that um you know doesn't have uh 
any siblings at the beginning and then later they have a bunch so of this, siblings. <laughs> so I wrote my first book. I had this wonderful bad guy in it and he had a brother. And then nine books later, I kind of revisited him and wrote about him being a single child. And then I was like, oh, my God. And that's what you need. <laughs> that is too funny. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I um, think you got to keep track. Definitely. Yeah, yeah no. I mean, always have a character book. I think that's something that other people have said that maybe you have like a folder and you have a page for each of your characters, and it's like eye color because otherwise you have you know your character has green eyes in one book and blue eyes in another book, and even though you're the author and you invented them, it's difficult to keep track of them all. Hundred percent. Yeah. No. And I the hair color, the eye color, the the way that they the physical attributes, but also like their little quirks or something that they do all the time. You know, I find that. I'm starting to ascribe the same ones, like you said earlier, to characters again and again. I'm like, well, let me change up the hair color. So it's not exactly the same, you know, and you just have things like tendencies, things that you gravitate toward. And I will tell you that um, when I talk to my daughter about my books, she's 20 and I have four kids, but she's the one who's really spent time talking to me about it. She's convinced that every book that I write is the family, like is our family. And so she can always, she's like, oh, no, no, that's my dad. And oh, no, that's, the, you know, like honestly no like that was not there but i don't know maybe it's influenced who knows but like i said you can always read yourself into the situation yeah and i I think you know there's a lot of tools out there too that would help that do help with this and thing i mean you know scrivener i know allows for all sorts of you know being able to build out uh you know character sheets and all stuff but i mean you you can do it without all that you can do it with simple spreadsheets you can do it with um you know one note you can do it with all sorts of things is there a tool that you use to sort of keep track of everything or i'm so sorry to disappoint but i am so old-fashioned that microsoft word is my friend and that's just what i do um everything is a document and i have a lot of students who who use scrivener and it's so funny i've had a few who are like okay, I'm going to give myself three months to learn Scrivener. And I'm like, oh gosh, I don't have the patience for that. So once they do, they're happy in it. But um, that's a that's a pretty steep learning curve. I don't know if that's been your experience, but I don't know. I just sort of write it all in Word and serves me well. I uh, No, yeah. For me, I have played with Scrivener. I think, like you said, there is a lot of learning there. It is sort of a more in-depth thing. Now I'm sort of more of a one-note guy who my whole life and everything is in one note now so for for writing a book that it would lend itself pretty easily to that as well you know you can create folders on characters and different things you know but uh but yeah it's just it, it's really a matter of preference and what you're used to you don't want to spend too much time learning tools just so you can write your book you know so if you know something really well if you know word really well use word right it's, yeah. you can do it in notepad really it's just you can have notes everywhere but uh but yeah it, it doesn't really matter it's just i was just curious if there was something that you specifically uh think is is better than the rest no i don't i do think that doing some writing by hand when you're figuring out the characters is important you know um there's a lot of research that shows that you activate a different part of the brain when you write by hand a more creative part of the brain than when you're typing I like to type because I'm impatient and I type really quickly. But when I have done some little prompts just to get to know my characters better by hand, it's amazing what comes out. So I do think sometimes just sitting with a journal um, or doing certain kinds of you know exercises just to get to know your characters and doing it by hand is, is a richer experience and you get a lot of great material. It's interesting. I find by hand, I remember things better. Yeah. So if I write myself, a note 
to remind myself of something and I write it by hand, I don't need the note. <laughs> you know, because I wrote the note, I'm going to remember it now. But if I, you know, type it in a to-do list on my computer, then I, I might not remember to do it, and I might not even remember to look at the to-do list. So, yeah, it's like something about writing it by hand activates more memory for me, at least. Yeah, yeah, it's very rich. Yeah. Um. So okay. So what in particular though makes a character more compelling than than what what makes them sort of like really stick in the reader's minds? What what can people do to sort of improve their characterization? A lot of people, you know, they, they create characters that are, I guess, sort of more flat. You know, every character is kind of the same, especially when you're starting out writing, every character is sort of the same as the other one. And, you know, they have a different name and they look a little different, but they're all talking kind of in the same voice or, or they're all sort of, you know, you can't really tell too much about who one is, you know, when you read a really, really good book that has really rich characterization, you almost don't need any he said, she said business because you you know from what they're saying and and the description of them and, and or like of, of their speaking patterns or their, um, you know, or, or what they're doing as they're talking, you know exactly who it is they're talking about. So how do people sort of create that? Yeah, and actually Hemingway was really good at that. So there aren't a lot of dialogue tags in his books and you just know who the characters are. So I think if you think about it in a lot of novels, um, there are whiny main characters, main characters who are just dissatisfied with their lives, complaining, kind of, you know, fetching, like, oh, my life isn't great. Um, that's sort of boring and annoying because we have that in our lives. And so I think one thing people can strive for is to build strong characters who know themselves. And so what would that look like? You know, and then giving them some interesting or unique pursuits um, and also little habits. So, um, you know, in, in Woman of Valor, there's a lot of conversation that happens between the married couple when they're doing dishes. Like That's a thing. Like she washes and he dries. And so it's just sort of one of their habits that comes back again and again in the book, but it's um, sort of a foundation for having a big conversation. And so think, and that's just very ordinary, but I think you could come up with some really different interests, like put a character who, you know, wears prairie dresses and cowboy boots on a motorcycle. That doesn't add up, you know, or, um, you know, somebody who lives in a city, but has like a rooftop garden and they're growing like all the herbs for, you know, for that you can imagine or something, There's something really different that is unexpected in the setting and for the person putting um, so almost oppositional things into one person makes them more interesting. So, you know, they could be soft-spoken, but they could be writing like raunchy uh, erotica or something, you know, and like, you don't see that coming. And so I think that's what can make really compelling characters. And also, um, taking the unexpected route. So, you know, when it, it seems like they're attracted to somebody, you know, outside of the relationship, the natural thing would be like, oh, they're going to go cheat. Well, then don't have them cheat. You know, I just read that in a book recently and I swear it was set up where I knew like, actually the couple, the, the main character was estranged from her husband. So it was like a perfect setting for her to have an affair. And she had this like moral compass that was so strong that she's like, yeah, no, I can't because I'm technically still married. And I'm like, I did not see that coming. And I wanted her to hook up with the guy too. So I think when you don't see it coming, it becomes a, a more fun read. And, and that's what makes your characters multidimensional and versatile too. 
it's almost like you you as an author get to discover the story and you, you're right when you talk about it being channeled through you it's like characters do things because the characters are so strong that you can't make them do things and they can surprise even you and that's yes. because they are in your brain real people isn't it weird we writers have real fully formed characters who could step out of our brains and like exist and they just live in our heads Right. Yeah. You're like, wait, no, that's all made up. Like that actually is not a real place. Like, you know, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you guys start like start dreaming about your characters and your book when you're writing it. And then you wake up and you're like, oh, yeah, no, that's part of the family. Wait, no, it's not like they don't. They're not real. But like it feels like they're there, like they're in your life, in the world. And they're not. So that's weird. Yeah. If you really immerse yourself in your writing, I think it can take on a lot of different you know in your dreams or you might start you know sort of thinking about what people are doing and and what what the person in the book might do in that situation right um and i think yeah that the unexpected path i think is is a really good way for people to to have their characters react it's it's not as easy as it sounds right because your natural thought will also be to just take the expected path you start writing it in that way and yep. then you realize okay well i'm i'm sort of setting this all up because that's the payoff i'm expecting to do but then it becomes like too obvious so you almost have to like think about what your payoff is and then take this roundabout route to get there when you're writing yeah i think it's really helpful to know the ending even if the ending is going to change because like you said earlier, you can then plant little Easter eggs along the way, um, but you have to know those motivations. And so sometimes I like to envision, you know, what was my character like as a child? And that's never going to show up in this book, but then I can know what they experienced and what their like early years were like to make them the way they are. And so, you know, and if, if you're a parent, that's even easier to do because you know, my kids are grown now and I can look at them when they were little and say, Oh, I saw that back then, but I didn't know I was seeing it. And so when you right. start to look at your characters that way, as if you are giving birth to them and you're wondering, you know, like, where did they get this, this, this tick or where did they get this tendency? And once you understand that, it can go really, really deep. And that, that makes them multifaceted. Yeah. And I think, you know, people also have to be careful. And I've, I've mentioned this sort of in the past as well where at least for me i don't love it when you know a character does something completely out of uh character <laughs> um and then it's sort of because you know they need it as the plot device and it's like not explained at all and then they just sort of like backfill the explanation and yeah. like well he did that because you never knew it but he was blah 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 you know and it's like well you should at least at the very least go back and put some little clues in there that make it seem like you're not just making it all up as you go along because as as an author like i get it you see this a lot i think in series that go for a long period of time where clearly when they started it like TV, I'm thinking TV series, clearly when they started it, they didn't know that they'd get to season five and they'd have all these other things and then something happens, like that doesn't make sense based on what happened in you know season one or whatever. But when you're writing, you don't have to worry about that because you can go back and you can make those edits and add in those little Easter eggs or whatever. And I think that that's something important to do that authors, you know, you don't want to, you don't want people to feel like, 
someone is acting out of character and there's really no reason for them to because you can you can change that you can go back and you can edit it so that it is in character um, yeah. that's just one thing i don't like when people do you know it's interesting you know i was on a trip recently in a hotel and was just sort of going through the channels at night and so friends was on and i i watched that years ago so i really know every episode and it was an early episode and there was something between Chandler and monica and i'm like okay did the writers know that in advance that they were going to get them together or did they get them together because of this in this early episode you know it's and it's fascinating to think about because maybe something comes out early on and you're like oh now the story is going in a different direction because of this particular scene or or attribute or something i do think you're right though that the job of the author is to go back and revise so that it's tight and cohesive and there's a flow to the story and I don't know about you guys, but my first drafts are unfortunately very messy. And I know that that's common, but like I keep hoping with each subsequent book that the first drafts are going to be magically amazing, but they're always super messy. And so that's where you sort of you have something to work with. Like you can shape it, you can sculpt it, you know, you have something on the page, but it often needs a total reconstruction. And so, you know, yeah, you have the rough stuff, but you still have to shape it. Yeah, I'm that's really good. I don't quite fun fact for the first half of the first season of Friends, they were thinking of making Chandler gay. Really? So, that, like that goes through the whole the whole series, right? You know? That's so funny. And, yeah. And isn't it funny that yeah, but there was something that in some way their natural interaction, the two two actors uh, actors, and then that yeah. led to to what we have now. Right, exactly. Yeah. So funny. I do I do look at TV and sometimes movies to see how the characters are developed and and where they carry the story through for like educational purposes. And so sometimes I'll, you know, I'll I'll look at a series and be like, okay, how would this play out as a book? And um and even especially ones that are not coming from books, but um just to see how do we translate that to the page? How do we make it as vivid and dimensional and descriptive as what we're seeing on the screen? I think they can be great um, educational tools. Yeah, for sure. And I, you know, when people are writing too, they need to really like, you know, think about everything holistically. And I think a lot of times that's hard to do as well. The, the idea of, you know, you can pull different characters together um, you know, if you look at Friends, right, you, you have six different characters, but they also have to sort of work together. They also have to be a good mesh with each other and yeah. they can't, you know, so you can, it's possible to pull characters together that, that really won't have the chemistry you need in a book. And so I think it's important that you also think about that, not just, you know, the character individually. You might have these great characters and you want to use them all, but it isn't always possible to use them all in, in one book or or at least, you know, together in one book. Maybe later you can have a character, but he, you know, he's just not gonna work with these ones here, but maybe later he can be there. You know, I think you have to also think about it sort of as a group as well as individually. Yeah, I think it's okay to kill off some characters that just are not cutting it for you. And if you love them, save them for another. I, I think the likelihood of using them is pretty slim, but you never know. It can happen. You know, I always save, because like I cut out a really big chunk of, of a draft. And I think it's just so well written and great 
and I save it in a document because I might use it later. I like never go back to that document, but you can always do that, you know, and then you never know where it's going to lead you. And I think it makes you feel better. I think uh, pulling it out is if you at least say to yourself, oh, I might use it later. It's right. so much easier to pull it out than be like, I'm just deleting it. You know, yeah. that's, hard, that's much tougher. I have a big file on my, of like 200,000 words that I call word soup. And it's literally like segments and characters I've taken out and they just stick them in this word file. Cause sometimes you go through and see if there are any gems there. You're talking about friends, like the six characters, six is like a magical number. And I think one of the things about Friends is when they started off, they got painted with very broad strokes, but they were naturally characters who clashed against each other. There was super inner-retentive Ross who clashed with, like, super hippie Phoebe. Mm -hmm. And there was uh, um, shy, funny uh, Chandler who was kind of clashed against, like, dumb, super confident Joey. And, right. like, the, the, the characters drive so much of the story. Well, that's how you have some, you know, some some conflict, and that's what you need to move your story along. Like something has to happen, and if everybody's happy and everything is peachy, then what's your story? And that's not life. I mean, things come right. up every day, even when you're mostly happy and things are mostly going your way. There's still little things that come up, and that's where the story is. It's in the conflict. It's in the challenge. So you absolutely have to have those oppositional forces. Yeah, and it's and and when I was saying, you know, you might have not have characters that that work well together. That's not necessarily because they clash, because that actually they probably would work t well together. It might be that they're too similar, yeah. and thus there's really nothing to 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 say about them at that point. There's no interactions. They're just going to always agree on everything. And where's the fun in that? Yeah, there has to be something. I mean, so like I said earlier, I, you know, I I don't like whiny characters. But there has to be some misfortune. There has to be something that happens that isn't going the way you want it to go so that you can overcome it or you can figure out a solution or you can grow from it. And that that makes depth. So, yeah, maybe not whining all the time, but you got to have challenge for sure. That's I find that so yeah. I, I've been thinking a lot about character in relation to like sitcoms and stuff like that. Uh, Frasier just did a new reboot and Fra this is the third generation of the Frasier we saw. We saw him when he was 30 in Cheers. Then we saw him when he was like 40 in Frasier. And now we see him when he's like 65 yeah. and he's a different character from who he was then, except he's also the same character. And it makes it very easy for that show to be so entertaining because you know him, you feel like he's a character, you know, you feel like, you know, him, and that's when you read a book with a character, you just, understand it's so satisfying yeah 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 i wonder too about character growth and that that you know I, I feel like there's some times where you get really invested in who a character is and that really speaks to you and you really enjoy the story because of that character but then as the story goes or maybe as the series goes the character grows and changes and sometimes you know and that and that's it's not necessarily a bad thing right because characters do grow and change but I, I wonder if there's that danger of sort of losing some of the some of what it is that that people really um gravitated towards uh you know because it has happened to me I can't think of specific examples but but where you know the the characters really I really enjoyed them but then you know they they just they changed throughout the series and I didn't love the change that they that they took on um and maybe it was me maybe other people did but but I guess that's something you kind of also have to have to think about because you do want your characters to grow and to change, but you also want to make sure that it's not in a way that is going to sort of turn people off. 
yeah well we I mean, joey and uh joey and rachel getting together at the end of friends that was a perfect <laughs> example yeah yeah that's not a great storyline right right yeah <laughs> not a fan but um but i think that you know a story is an arc of transformation so something has to change something has to be different um from where you started and there has to be some kind of growth but if the i i think if the character changes too dramatically then it's a completely different story and that's not realistic because while people can grow and evolve at the core we're pretty much the same for most of our lives and so your characters need to mirror reality you know they unless you're writing sci-fi or fantasy you know where you can really just go off the page um if you're looking to make it relatable human characters there's a transformation, but they can't be a completely different character by the end. So, well, yeah. we are approaching the top of the hour. So, but I had a very important question to ask you, Lynn. Yeah. Who yes. are your favorite fictional characters from books, from movies, from TV? Who are the ones that like really stand out to you? Oh my goodness. Well, okay. My favorite lately is Elsa from 1883. Have you guys seen that? That's that show that was the prequel to Yellowstone, isn't it? Yeah, so it's the pre-prequel. So there's 1883 and 1923, which are the two prequel seasons to Yellowstone. And Elsa is this amazing 18-year-old on the frontier in 1883, and her voice is the narrator. And then she's actually the, the narrator in 1923, which is interesting. But um, she's sort of the matriarch, in a way, of the family that leads to Yellowstone. And I think her voice is so poetic and sort of... Um, you know, eager, but also in that 18 year old way that you are, where you just think the world is full of possibility and beauty and love. And it's just so exciting. I think she's probably my favorite character these days. That's really interesting. You know, very quickly, Craig, who's your favorite fictional character? Come on. <laughs> oh dear. No, I don't even. Or a good fiction. I, you know, a good one. You know, I, I don't know. I think in, I like sort of like those wise characters that sort of seem to know what's going on when everyone else doesn't. So you think of like like a Gandalf in Lord of the Rings where, you know, he's sort of guiding everything and he knows what's happening. And as a writer, I'm always, that kind of thing always fascinates me because like it shows, like you almost have to really, really understand your story before you start writing it to have a character like that who who is sort of, or you do a lot of editing, but you know, that, that really is guiding, you know, guiding and, and, and pulling things along so i think i like that kind of a character what about you roland um it's is not necessarily my favorite well no i was going to say one of the most interesting characters i find uh is jack reacher because it's like as you're reading a book and you've read all of these different adventure stories i love james bond books and stuff like that jack reacher is is you know six and a half feet tall 250 pounds he just has no fear and no insecurities and i think so many men are plagued by insecurities and we do feel like you know you're physically vulnerable and so to read about this story this story about this guy who you know he walks into a room every single pair of eyes will turn on him he talks to somebody they'll be intimidated i mean that's to me, that's great characterization because you put him into a situation and you kind of know how the situation will unfold because he's such a strong character, even though it's quite simple. And that's why you can just keep reading the 25 books of him. Yeah. So I love that. I want to say also a favorite character who's not in a book, who's a real person of mine, is David Beckham because uh, he doesn't, he defies expectation for me. Like he's so unique and original and just isn't what you think he will be based on his role. And I think that's really cool. So I had the 
biggest belly laugh ever from David Beckham when they had that show with him and, and uh, Victoria and Victoria was going on about how she came from such a working class background and a poor background. And he just pokes his head around the door and goes, tell him what car you drove to school in. And it was a Rolls Royce. It was just like the way he just called his own wife out on her pretentious book. I just, I was just beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe I'll write a character like him one day. Absolutely. Well, we are coming up to the top of the hour. So Lynn, where can people find out more about you? Where can they go? So I'm everywhere. You can find me on social media. My website's lyngaladner.com. And I write, um, I think, a pretty good Substack every Monday. So you could find me there too. And um, yeah, just say hello. Tell, tell me that you heard me here. I'd love it. Excellent. Well, we'll pop a link down below. And uh, while you are listening to this, if you want to go and check out that link, that's great. But also, why don't you leave Lynn a comment? Let uh, her know and let us know how much you appreciated everything she had to, to say here today. And also, while you're down there, if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button, hit that like button. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Fully Booked. So until then, thank you very much for joining us. Bye bye.